Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. With Rob O'Hare. Sprite Castle. Hello, and welcome to Sprite Castle, the show in which I play, discuss, and review Commodore 64 games. My name is Rob Flack O'Hara, and on this episode of Sprite Castle, I will be discussing Rocket Ball. Do you know what movie this game is tied to? You will find out after listening to this episode. But before we get started with this episode's game, let's check the Daily Sun for this week's Paperboy headlines. Welcome back to another episode of Sprite Castle. The first bit of news, if you didn't hear on the last episode, is that I am doing Sprite Castle live now. And so you can watch as I do the recordings on YouTube. Uh, You can see the episodes on youtube.com forward slash Sprite Castle. And I'm doing both Sprite Castle and... You don't know flack this way. So you can, uh, if you like watching things on YouTube, then you could go to, uh, again, to youtube.com forward slash Sprite Castle and actually watch the video versions of the episodes. I'll have lots of pictures and video and things to go along with the episodes. But if you're just a person that likes listening to audio podcasts, nothing's going to change at all. The audio version will still be in your feed. It'll be exactly how, how it uh, was before. So you're losing nothing and gaining uh, something. And I'm gaining more work to do. <laughs> so it's a win for everybody but me. <laughs> Story of my life. Uh, let's see. I haven't talked about Amigathon on Sprite Castle since it took place, although I did talk about it on You Don't Know Flag, but Amigathon went off without a hitch. That was the fundraising event put on by the Amigos and all their friends, and they did 12 hours of streaming. This was to raise money for the uh, Children's Miracle Network hospitals. And once they were done streaming, after 12 hours, they turned it over to several other people uh, on their uh, uh, Discord network and other streamers, and I happened to be one of those. And so my buddy Jeff came over. If you're in the chat and you ever see Steel Rat 666, you can say hi to uh, to Jeff. He came over. We played several two-player games. And the good news is that Amigathon uh, not only broke its goal of $5,000, uh, I believe at the end of the day it was um, 6000 I'm not sure how high, high it went, but I just checked recently and donations are still coming in. It's currently at $7,300, so it was a huge success. And uh, thanks to everybody that tuned in and everyone who donated. We also had some prize giveaways during uh, my portion of the show, uh, Beach Bum 7 who is a regular uh, attendee of my streams and listener to the shows, won a C64 Mini, which uh, I had shipped to him, and he told me he received it. So I hope he's playing some fun Commodore 64 games on that. And we also had a couple of prizes donated from Retro Rewind, who is also a sponsor of the show. And we gave away a Commodore 64 Wi-Fi modem, which went to Zerfall and also a Freeload cartridge, which is a new version of the old Epix Fastload cartridge, which was won by uh, Buck Owens. So congratulations to everybody who won prizes, and thank you to everybody who tuned into the stream and who donated money. Again, you know, I said one of the the best things that that uh, 
they did about this is that the money doesn't come to me. <laughs> There's no part where I can fumble something up or whatever. The money goes directly uh, to the charity and to the kids uh, and to the families that need it. So it, it's a, a great deal and, and it costs you know people like me a little bit of time. And if if I can play some video games and do some streaming and it helps some sick kids, then uh, that seems to be a pretty good deal to me. So. Uh, on to some feedback that I got from the last episode. On the last episode of Sprite Castle, we covered burger time. And I got a message from the Slow Norris, who is a not only a listener, but one of my uh, Patreon followers, who said uh, it was a great episode. And then he adds, not to be a nitpicker, but there is no pepper grinder in the arcade. And that the bonus extra peppers appear as ice cream which is on levels one, four, and seven, and then cups of coffee, which are on levels two, five, and eight, and then finally French fries, which are on levels three, six, and nine. Uh, so I don't remember if I even got to level three. So <laughs> I don't know if I saw that, but of course, part of the confusion was um, that, uh, you know, between the box art and the instructions and all the weird things that were going on in that game. And Obviously, it looks like if you, I mean, you would think that you're getting a pepper shaker or pepper grinder because when you get it, then you can throw pepper. <laughs> so that must have been where my mistake came in. But Slow Norris set me right. And uh, I I just, after doing that episode or right around the time I recorded that episode, I realized that my 60-in-1 arcade game has burger time on it. So um, I, it the 60-in-1 has six games listed per page and you have to go through the pages and i think page two or three one of them has donkey kong donkey kong jr miss pac-man one has galaga or a galaxian and um uh frogger maybe or so. so i never get to the other pages so i didn't realize it had burger time but uh I've, I've spent a little bit of time playing burger time since then so that's one fun thing about this show is is not just discovering new games but uh finding games that you've forgotten about or fallen on the back burner and going back and, and revisiting those. So I've, I've had some fun playing burger time over the past couple of weeks. Now there was some confusion about the version of burger time that I played on the Commodore 64, which in the instructions says that the, the lead character's name is jumping Jeff, which I joked about because in burger time, obviously you can't jump. Uh, and also it talked about how the burgers were llama burgers instead of hamburgers. And so I thought maybe that was a reference to llama soft, but I wasn't sure. But fan of the show Z9K9 dropped me a note and said the llama burgers and jumping Jeff are in reference to llama soft. Both were based in the small town of Tadley, Hampshire. And in Jeff Minter's own llama soft history, he describes setting up Llamasoft in partnership in partnership with a quote smeghead <laughs> and his dad, who went on to financially exploit him. Uh, and so, anyway, apparently uh, Jeff Minter had gone into business with the guys that were behind that Interceptor software, who created Burger Time and all that, and they apparently had some sort of of uh, falling out. So, um. There's uh, another game uh, that he mentioned in this uh, email where he says uh, it's called Get Off My Garden, and it includes a scrolling text across the top of the screen, 
in which they go on an unhinged rant about drugs and llamas and so on. So apparently they were actually throwing jabs at llamas off. So it wasn't just a friendly reference, but it was actually, um, you know, kind of a taunting thing. So that was interesting to find out. Thank you uh, to you guys. And thanks to everybody who sends in stuff every week. And now let's talk about the king of the castle. So in the last episode, when we talked about Burger Time, the secret 8-bit song played at the end of the episode was Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, which I thought I was being a little sneaky there. I wasn't sure anybody would get that reference because, of course, Sgt. Pepper and then Peter Pepper. Uh, But it turns out everybody, (laughs) I think everybody who listens to the show uh, got it. So the uh, kings of the castle for the last episode were Adam. From the Retro Gaming Bygones podcast, Bill Spear, Ferg from the Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast, who recently uh, released an episode that I think might have got a lot of flack on his episode for some reason. Hmm. We had Dan Creek in the house. We have Extend to the Jam, Mitsuyama, Joe Sharippa, Steve Sharippa, John Bodokar Schaller, The Slow Norris, Edward Smith, Zord Glove. I think there were more people in the party room than standing outside waiting, which is normally the uh, the situation that we have. Now, one of the things that I ask people to do is, if it's not immediately obvious, to tell me the connection between the song and and uh, the the game or the you know the game's title or the theme or how those two things are related. Now Darren Folds uh, also got the correct answer, and he said, "Of course, most folks will presume your connection to Burger Time is the main character Peter Pepper, who shares a last name with Sergeant Pepper." But I know you're referring to the inside of the original vinyl gatefold, which shows the picture on the cover from the back side. On it, you could clearly see a chef with the puffy chef's hat, jacket, and checkered pants. Pretty sneaky, O'Hara. Well, I was not thinking of that, and I actually have Sgt. Pepper on vinyl. I inherited uh, several old vinyl albums from my parents, and I had to go look on there, and sure enough, there is a chef on there. Uh, But Kevin Moon's connection with his guests was even uh, a little bit less connected than I was thinking. Kevin Moon says the song in the latest episode was Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band by the Beatles, a reference to Peter Pepper, the protagonist in Burger Time. Peter Pepper was a sergeant in the Royal Belgian Air Force during the Boer War, the Spanish Civil War, and the Crimean War, and he saw a lot of stuff go down. He was diagnosed with severe PTSD and became a chef. He discovered the secrets of unlocking the secret Z chromosome in food products, which embiggened them and caused them to gain a malevolent sentience, and he spent the remainder of his life battling the chaos he unleashed. Kevin, you're exactly right. That was the exact connection (laughs) that I had between Sgt. Pepper (laughs) and Burger Time. So congratulations to Kevin for exactly nailing. (laughs) It might seem a little convoluted, but that was exactly what I had in mind. Uh, I also got a a King of the Castle submission from Mike Lelinsky, uh, who correctly named the song that was in Hardball. (laughs) But... He's he's out of phase. He was too late. And so I did send him a key 
Uh, but that key won't work on the VIP. You can't send in, I guess it's for old episodes, the, the lock changes every two weeks. And so I've got uh, everybody's being rushed out of the VIP room right now, and the locks are being changed. So your only way to get a key to the VIP room is to guess the 8-bit song that appears at the end of this episode. So if you hear the song at the end of this episode and you think you know it, send me an email at robohara at robohara.com. And if you would, put King of the Castle in the subject line. I have a lot of email that goes to my spam filter. And if you put it in there, I've got a, a rule that says don't throw that into spam. That is important stuff. And having my VIPs in there is important. Uh, last time we had a lot of burgers and and uh, hamburgers. And uh, I don't know what happened to Miss Egg. Before people got there, she tapped the keg and uh, created quite a scene in the party room from what I understand. So if you do... Uh, listen to the song at the end of this episode and, and know it. Send me that email and you will receive a key to the King of the Castle. So congratulations to everybody who guessed that last week. Um, this is a personal Commodore 64 news, but from Retro Rewind, I ordered a Kung Fu Flash cartridge, which just arrived right after I recorded the last episode. I've just started playing around with it. It's pretty awesome. It is a uh, kind of a jack-of-all-trades cartridge if you have a real Commodore 64 and um, you don't already have some sort of disc solution, this is kind of like a SDIEC. There's a, a micro uh, SD card slot, so you can put disc images on there and you can play games right off of that SD card slot. It has buttons for reset and uh, there's a mappable button for cartridges that had a button. You can use that on there. Um, it's also... The Kung Fu Flash cartridges have been available for a long time in PAL, but they just recently received a BIOS update that is NTSC. And so uh, if you're like me and you're in the States uh, or you just have an NTSC Commodore 64 and you've been waiting, wait no longer. You can get these from uh, RetroRewind.ca. Um, I'm doing my, my plug a little bit early. This isn't really a plug. This is, I mean, I really did buy this and I used my own discount. I used, uh, the Sprite Castle 10% discount and, uh, saved pretty much. I got my shipping for free. So that worked out pretty good. Now, uh, on to this episode's question of the month. This month's question comes from Steve Sharippa and his question was a tough one for me this week. Steve asked, what do you think the Commodore community needs most? And man, that's a tough one because as I started going through mentally, like, you know, what do you need? Well, you need a community. Well, there are multiple communities. The Lemon 64 is a huge Commodore 64 community. Um, you know, there's, do, we have disk solutions. I mean, we have, uh, the ability to load things off of SD cards. We have multiple ways to do that. We have hardware replacements. We have the Ultimate C64 or the Ultimate 64 and the, the 15 or the Ultimate 1541. I mean, so we have all these updated things, you know? So I really was trying to think what could the community use? And the best I could come up with is some sort of centralized front end for C64 emulators. Now, C64 emulators have come a long way. Um, but if you're using something like I use, like WinVice, even when you mount a game, uh, you still, especially on uh, discs that have multiple games, you still have to know those 
Commodore 64 disk commands. And I know that people have come up with emulators that work with Launchbox or, or Hyperspin or things, but that's kind of what I was thinking was something that you would download that would have basically every Commodore 64 game uh, and allow you to import things that you wanted to have some sort of a disk management system for copying files and, and making copies of disks and stuff. And I'm almost envisioning like a program that runs on your computer uh, that has, you know, it's almost looks like an operating system uh, within a window and it would have, you know, the Commodore, uh, you know, you got to have all that metadata for your games, right. That would have all the information, the the C64 Mini and then later the Maxi had that carousel that looks so good. So if you had something like that, um, but I guess it would just be one solution, you know. And also, I don't know, this is kind of a, a secondary thing, but I was thinking about a joystick that would um, have an analog stick on the left, right? And then you would have two buttons because that's, I mean, you have a jump button, right? And then maybe a second button that you would map to up for games or, or to the space bar, maybe just make it mappable, you know, and then have four buttons across the top for the function keys or something like that, because there's so many games that, that do that, but some sort of Commodore specific joystick that would have all that stuff built in. But, uh, um, you know, the, the Commodore has so many solutions, so much stuff out there. It's just not centralized. Like you kind of have to go here um, you know, I use assembly 64 to get the software updates, but I use this emulator over here. I use this front end. I use different things. Uh, I use the zoom floppy to transfer disks back and forth. So, um, all this stuff is there, but it's a bunch of different solutions. So that's really what I was thinking is that to, to make it easier, more mainstream, just make it where it's one, um, you know, front end, uh, that's more easily maneuverable i guess though so that's about all i could come up with steve um, but if you want to send in your question if it's commodore related i'll answer it here on uh sprite castle and if it's not i'll answer it on you don't know flack but uh, steve got to answer the question because he is one of my 16-bit supporters on patreon so if you want to check out what's going on on patreon there's lots of behind the scenes stuff there's videos uh, you could ask questions on, on the air. There's all kinds of stuff like that. So uh, if you want to find out more about that, go over to patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. If you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can always email me directly at Rob O'Hara at Rob Join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Robcasts. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord or leave a message on my podcast hotline, which is area code 405-486-YDKF. Also, don't forget that all Patreon supporters get access to the Amigos Discord server, which is home to several podcast communities, including the Amigos, ARG Presents, Pixel Guide In, and the TeamSpeak Irregulars. You can find out more details again by going to patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. This episode of Sprite Castle is proudly sponsored by Retro Rewind. For all your Commodore bits, bytes, and accessories, visit Retro Rewind at retrorewind.ca forward slash Sprite Castle. When you check out, don't forget to use that Sprite Castle discount code for 10% off on all your orders. And those are this week's headlines, which were brought to you by my paper boy, who just crashed into a kid on roller skates. Okay, now I'm mad. 
Now that we've covered this week's news, let's discuss this week's snack. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Talking snack. Well, you know, this game uh, is kind of a ridiculous futuristic game that we'll be playing this week, uh, Rocket Ball. Um, and of course, nobody has ever attended a real Rocket Ball uh, game, but I have attended Roller Derby before. I've gone to Roller Derby events, local events, and they have all kinds of snacks that are available there. Of course, they have popcorn and drinks and things like that. Uh, but one of the things that they had was beef jerky whenever I went. And so uh, I remember going and watching Roller Derby and just sitting in the crowd uh, next to my kids and my wife and with this giant thing of beef jerky. And for some reason, my brain has associated those two things. So uh, that's what I got this week while I was playing Rocketball. I picked up uh, a pack of uh, Jack Links. Uh, I, I'm not really stuck on any particular brand of beef jerky. I like the beef jerky they sell at convenience stores pretty well. I'm not a huge fan of Slim Jims. I, I like more of the flat kind of jerky. And I do like uh, turkey jerky is okay, but I like the beef jerky. They have teriyaki flavor. They have some spicy ones, um, but uh, they they have you know all different kinds and and uh, there's just not that much to say about beef jerky. You got to be careful with some of the hot ones because the hot ones uh, will uh, you know can really just punch you in the face. And speaking of getting punched in the face, Raga Ball was released for the Commodore 64 in 1985 by IJK Software. It is a game for one to two players that uses joystick controls. IJK Software is a uh, UK-based software development company. The I thought that the name was like uh, QWERTY, you know, like Q-W-E-R-T-Y or ASDF Software. IJK is three letters in a row uh, that are alphabetical. But it turns out that IJK actually stand for or stood for the three employees' names. I are Ian Sinclair, John Sinclair, and Keith Sinclair. At least they did put their, their names in alphabetical order. Uh, John was the programmer, and then Ian was his uncle, and Keith was his father. So this was a, a small a family-owned business. They were active from 1983 to 1987. Going through Moby Games, it looks like most of their games were released for the Auric, which is a strange platform to focus on. But they also released several games for the Amstrad CPC and a few Commodore 64 games. Uh, the other games that you might be familiar with, uh, they released Crazy Car, that's uh, Crazy with a K, and Car with a K. They also released Joust for the Commodore 64, and that is Joust with an E on the end, J-O-U-S-T-E. And so a lot of people that thought that they had Joust for the Commodore 64 also uh, actually had this version. And so that is uh, really the... Uh, uh, the program that they released that I was the most familiar with. Uh, for other systems, they released Zorgon's Revenge. They released Wizard's Spell, Colin the Cleaner, and Playground 21. So uh, they only released, I think they have about a dozen software releases listed on uh, Moby Games.
Rocketball is an exciting sport of the future in which two teams roller skate around a looped track while attempting to pick up a steel ball and throw it through the other team's goal. Whichever team scores the most points in 10 minutes wins. Now, Rocketball is based on the sport that appears in the 1975 movie Rollerball, starring James Caan. In that movie, it features essentially the same sport, even with some of the same cities that are represented. Uh, There are some differences in the movie. For example, in the movie, they have motorcycles (laughs) that will pull the skaters around so they can speed up and catch a ride. Uh, The Commodore 64 version of Rocketball does not feature motorcycles. But by and large, it is the same game. Now, the box is quite interesting to look at. Uh, You see in the background the sloped track, uh, you see Rocket Ball in a very retro futuristic font or not. The font's not what is futuristic. It's the chrome fade that we saw so much in the 80s. Uh, so we have that chrome reflection. And then in between the words rocket and ball is the Rocket Ball, which is a giant um on the cover it's a chrome ball in the game it looks it's more of a it's just a black uh matte ball but regardless uh in the uh, on the cover it's chrome and then down at the bottom we have one of the rollerball contestants which looks very strangely like James Caan from the movie. Uh, but that can't be because someone would have had to pay copyright uh, if they had made James Caan. Uh, but he's wearing a helmet. Um, and uh, if you look at the pattern and the colorization, it is identical to the way that he appears in the movie. Uh, so uh, it looks like they got away with one. Uh, they even have the studded leather glove that he's wearing And in the screenshot that I have pulled up here on the screen, if you're watching the video version, you can see he's wearing the same colors. It's the same pattern on the helmet. He has the same glove. Uh, So this is obviously uh, taken right from the movie Rollerball. Uh, Now, there was uh, a couple of ads that I found, not ads specifically just for Rollerball, but for all of uh, IJK software. So this was a a pretty common thing where they would advertise two or three games from the same company. And on this ad that I found, they are advertising Rocketball, Crazy Car, and Joust. Uh, And then there's some text here under the ad for Rocketball, which says, In the year 2010 AD, world disputes are no longer settled on the battlefield, but in the circular Rocketball arena, victory going to the side scoring most goals. No quarter is given and no holds are barred. An epic struggle between the corporate forces. This action-packed arcade-style game includes all the features you would expect from an epic blockbuster. And then there is a list of all the features this game includes. Super smooth scrolling. 100% machine code. Tremendous music. Shadow on ball. (laughs) One player versus computer or two player game. Fast loader. Then it says this was never meant to be a game. Rockable, 795 pounds joystick only. I want to talk about a world in which you would advertise that the ball has a shadow. <laughs> As a selling point to your game. Also 100% machine code. 
Um, I mean, I don't know if that's a selling point or not. Also, tremendous music, uh, which we will talk about here in just a second. Uh, the tremendous music is on the intro of the game, and then the music stops. There's no music during the game at all. So uh, tremendous music might be a little bit of an oversell. Now, the title screen has the two combatants. They're wearing helmets and jerseys. One says H-O-U, which is Houston, and the other is T-O-K for Tokyo. There's also Moscow and Madrid, uh, which are pink or green. So you can press F1 or F3 to choose what team you want to play as. F5 will toggle between player one or player two. So you can be one player game or two player game. And you can also go through skill levels for your opponent. So there are six different skill levels to choose from. So, uh, but that's all, that's all there is. The title screen and the menu screen are the same. And once you've uh, made your choices, you press the button and this starts the game. Now the game begins with each team uh, skating from right to left, and there are five members per team. Uh, After they both skate by, a buzzer sounds, and then the ball is shot out, apparently from a cannon of some sort. Now on each team, again, there are five players that will be, uh, four of them will be the same color, and one will be a slightly different color. For example, on the green team, Four of them will be dark green, and then the person you are controlling is light green. If you use the default, uh, the other team, four of the players are yellow, and then the one you could control is white. They're all wearing these um, kind of head-to-toe jumpsuits that are basically one color with uh, stripes on the side. Now, because the track is raised, there's a little bit of an angle on the drawing, which is kind of cool. And it's circular, so the track just repeats over and over and over. Now, there's no indication on the screen that it's circular. The track really just looks straight from the part that we could see, but you just kind of have to imagine that we're looking at a a cross-section and that you can go around in a circle. Uh, The track is divided up into eight different sections, which are numbered, and you can see the numbers going by on the bottom of the screen. And the goals are embedded into the wall on sections three and seven. Now, the goals are color-coded, so you have to throw the ball into the other team's goal, which when I was streaming this last week, I made the mistake of throwing it into my goal (laughs) multiple times. Uh, So you don't want to do that. You want to throw the ball into your opponent's goal uh, while you're playing the game. Um, One of the things that I think is interesting is the game scrolls by. There are billboards on the back wall of sponsors uh ibm is one of the sponsors which is odd because this was not made for ibm computers uh another one is coca-cola and then kodak i can't really imagine that they had (laughs) advertising deals with any of these companies and i'm not sure if those are mentioned in the movie or not but uh they're they're very prominent and they're mixed in with other ones like ijk software and things like that um but uh it, it just kind of seems strange like they've made up possibly their own uh, sponsorships now to control your player uh again everything is controlled by the joystick 
and you are skating from right to left. So you press left to go faster and right to slow down and up and down moves you higher and lower on the track. Uh, the button and pulling down squats and you have to squat down to pick up the ball uh, from behind. So whenever the ball is rolling, you come up behind it quickly, press the button down, you'll squat down and you will scoop the ball up. Uh, button and up jumps. So if there's a lot of traffic or people have fallen on the track in front of you, you got to be pretty quick on the reflexes, but you can uh, jump over those people. Uh, if you're not holding the ball, then button left and button right throws elbows. <laughs> so you can come right up next to any opponent and uh, press the button in whichever direction they are from you and throw an elbow and knock them down. By the way, I should mention there are no penalties in this game. So all <laughs> everything is fair game. Throwing elbows, knocking people down, whatever you want to do. Uh, and then if you have the ball and press the button and then left or right, you will throw the ball to the left and right. And so the uh, the goal, uh, no pun intended, is to get the ball into the goal. So the closer you are to the goal, the easier it is to throw it into that because the goal does seem to scroll by pretty quickly. Uh, also, anytime you make contact with another player, you will both fall down. And this can actually be used to your advantage, which I'll talk about now as I get into some of the gameplay strategy. Um, again, the goal of the game, there is a 10 minute timer that begins uh, counting down when it starts. And the, the, the whole, the way to win is to score more points than your opponent. That's it. Uh, and you score one point for every goal. So nothing, <laughs> nothing complicated about that. Uh, again, the uh, goals are located on track sections three and seven. And every time you score a goal, they switch places. So you have to be careful. You can't just you know, if you see your goal, it's on section three and you score and the next time it's going to be on section seven. They just switch every time. So you have to kind of pay attention to where, uh, which one is your goal. Uh, again, the, the goal is on the outside wall of the track. So the closer you are to it, the easier it is to throw it in. Uh, you can throw it in all the way across from the bottom of the screen, but you really got to learn where the, uh, uh, to be able to time that. And there is a spot, uh, actually it's pretty even with the line, but uh, if you can get that timing down, you can throw it all the way across, which is also kind of fun because you may hit one or two people in the head <laughs> with the steel ball as it goes flying as well. Um, one strategy that I use is to knock down everybody you can because that leaves less players on the game field. So as I go by, I try to elbow everybody in the face, <laughs> not just in real life, but also in the game. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, if you have all these different players, uh, it's more people that you're likely to bump into and fall down. But if you knock them down, it takes people a little while to, to stand back up. So, um, knocking people down is to your advantage. Uh, and again, anytime two characters touch or two players touch, they both fall down. So if your opponent has the ball and you think he's about to score, if you can't get ahead of him or next to him to throw an elbow, you can just bump into him. You'll fall down and he'll fall down, but he will drop the ball and, you know, then you can maybe pick it back up. So that's a, a technique that I like to use. Uh, you can also, uh, one of the things that I do a lot is slowing down or speeding up to avoid where all the action is. So if there's a bunch of players together, I like to get in front of that group or behind that group. And uh, if they all knock each other down, then the ball will be there and then you can just 
skate up right behind, jump over the pile, and scoop it up and try to score a goal. Now again, uh, each goal is worth one point, and that is the only score that matters in the game. And at the end of the 10-minute time limit, there are no periods, there's no halftime, there's no anything. It's 10 minutes, and whoever has the most points at the end of the game wins. Uh, this game is pretty simple to play. It's pretty fun to play, but it's a lot of fun to play uh, with two players. Unfortunately, I don't think IJK had a very big distribution deal, and I'm not sure this was ever officially released in the U.S. Uh, I could only find official releases on cassette, and if it was only on cassette, then it probably either didn't make it to the U.S. or didn't, uh, didn't have good sales. Uh, but like a lot of people, I downloaded this from BBS, uh, and that's that's where we got our copy. But that uh, whatever its distribution was didn't seem to affect the reviews. I looked on Lemon sixty four, and Lemon sixty four lists this as an eight point two out of ten. Commodore user had it at eighty out of a hundred points. Commodore and Video Game Magazine has it as eight out of ten. Commodore Horizons gave it a ten out of ten. Home Computing Weekly gave it 3 out of 5, and Your 64 gave it 3 out of 5. So uh, this was a very uh, successful game and very highly reviewed. A lot of people seem to like it. Uh, this game was released for the Commodore 64, but there was a port released for the Amstrad CPC. And yowza. <laughs> It does not look very good. Um, the people all have lines through them. Uh, the crowd looks more like a shooting gallery of, of little heads or something. Uh, it it's not doesn't look very good. I'm, it, it may play. It may be fun to play. But compared to the Commodore 64 version, uh, this one just doesn't uh, look quite as good. Now, something that does look good is that a few years later after, this game was reimagined, if you will, and was released uh, as a game called Killer Ball, which you may be familiar if you're more into 16-bit games. Killer Ball was released on the Atari ST, the Amiga, and then Moby Games also says the Amstrad CPC uh, and MS-DOS. But I looked at this on, of course, the Amiga and the Atari ST versions, which look very similar, and um, it's much more detailed. There's a curvature to the track, so it makes a little bit more sense that you're on a curved track. Um, and, uh, I mean, overall, it just, obviously, it looks better being on the Amiga, you know, or on a 16-bit platform. But the the idea, I mean, the gameplay, the mechanics are the same. You're still picking up a ball and throwing it through that, that goal on the outside. So, um, you know, this is a uh, an unofficial spiritual whatever you would call it not a remake but a possibly a sequel but it's you know they they're using the same source material they're both getting it from the movie rollerball uh if you want to own a copy of rocketball good luck i checked ebay uh, even historical auctions and i could not find a single copy of rollerball or a rocketball uh that had sold or for sale so that's uh that's kind of interesting that's kind of rare i don't normally uh, see that so now let's get into my personal memories of playing Rocketball. Memories. 
you know, in my software collection on the Commodore 64, I had, mentally, I had one-player games and I had two-player games. So one-player games, you know, there were a lot of RPGs. There were a lot of uh, arcade-style games. There were just a lot of games that you would play when you were at home by yourself after school or after you'd finished your homework or whatever. Uh, but you always kept track of two-player games and not just alternating games, but games where two people could play against one another. I covered Bounces um, on an earlier episode. That was a really fun game. Wizard of War was a fun game. Mario Brothers uh, Joust. These were all types of games that you could play with a friend and you could, uh, a lot of times you could work uh, together, you know, and cooperate, but sometimes you, you fought against one another, you know, uh, but, uh, Rockaball is, is definitely a game where you would, <laughs> there's no cooperation. It's two people playing against one another. So I think this game became so popular uh, with me and, and Jeff and my friends because, um, there was, it was very easy to figure out how to play it. The controls are not complicated. And once you figure out, oh, you pick up the ball and you throw it in the goal, that's that's really, you know, the mechanics uh, behind the game. And so it was a type of game where you could play it on one player at home and try to get better. And then whenever you would meet up with your friends or whatever, you could play against one another. So, uh, I, yeah, we played a lot of this. Uh, I remember playing this quite often. I looked at the actual floppy disk uh, from my childhood that this was on. Uh, the disk also has Action Biker, Chimera, Green Beret, Gyroscope, Necromancer, and Speed Racer. So, you know, is definitely this is definitely a game that I downloaded from a BBS with all these other games. They were all packed onto this same disk. And, you know, sometimes you would play a game and it just wouldn't resonate with you, but there was something fun I think not just the competition of this game, but, you know, being able to throw those elbows and knock people down or pick up a steel ball and throw it at someone's head. <laughs> There's just kind of a, a kind of a sick enjoyment to this game. Uh, I will say this, that I, as a kid, I had not seen rollerball. I definitely didn't see rollerball until I was an adult. So um, there wasn't, I wasn't enjoying this game or playing this game because I liked the movie. I wasn't familiar with the movie at all. Uh, but, um, this is definitely one that, uh, got a lot of play, uh, around, uh, you know, around the computer with me and my friends. For graphics, I give Rocketball 4 out of 5 steel balls. For music, I can only give it 2 out of 5 steel balls. The music in the introduction is really good, but there's no music at all during the game. Uh, for sound effects, I give the game 3 out of 5 steel balls. There's a lot of sound effects. They're not very advanced, though. But overall, I give this 4 out of 5 steel balls. Uh, it has a few slight quirks, but Rockaball is overall an action-packed arcade-style game that's fun with one player and a blast with two.
Thanks again for tuning in to Sprite Castle. If you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can email me directly at Rob O'Hare at robohare.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcast. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server or leave me a message on my podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. This episode of Sprite Castle is proudly sponsored by Retro Rewind. For all your Commodore 64 bits, bytes, and accessories, visit Retro Rewind at retrorewind.ca forward slash Sprite Castle for a 10% discount on all orders. Sprite Castle is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, the RSS feed at podcast.robohara.com, and through the official Amigos podcast feed at anchor.fm forward slash Amigos podcast. To hear more podcasts from me like You Don't Know Flat, Cactus Flax, Throwback Reviews, and Multiple Sadness, visit podcast.robohara.com for links to these shows. Many of the news articles and game details for Sprite Castle come from websites such as Commodore News, Indie Retro News, Vintages the New Old, the Commodore Scene Database, Lemon64, and Moby Games. This show would not be possible without support from my Patreon supporters. The 8-Bit supporters are Alan Hennessy, Alan Hudgens, Armadon Restel, Brian Barr, Carrie Clanton, Chris Folds, Christopher Warren, Cowbird Boy, Dan Paradroid Heavey, Darren Folds, David Chambers, David Hearn, David Modelak, Eric Stryanisi, Garrett Allier, Gary Heather, Graham Vebke, Jake Nonamaker, Jason Warrens, John Bodokar Schaller, John Treholt, Jose Cazada, Joshua Eckroth, Mark Alley, Mike McLaughlin, Mitsuyama, Mr. Bundy, Mr. Wacky, Nathan Dagenhart, Olaf Hope, Patrick Markey, Rydar, and Christopher Bowe, Retro Trace, Rick Reynolds, Roy Jacobs, Scooter Prime, Scott Lambert, Scrap Arcade, Stephen Burt, Steve Rasmussen, The Slow Norris, Zeke Pabsky, Zerfall, and The Mysterious Cobra Kai. Also, special thanks to my 16-bit supporters, Boar's Head Tavern BBS, Dan Creek, Dave Zilly, Edward Smith, John Morrison, Matt Nicholson, Scott Vandrasek, Steve Sharippa, and Vintage Volts. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Sprite Castle. Now get back to rocketing those steel balls, and we'll see you here next time. <laughs>